have been several weeks now on Sunday nights in the parables that Jesus told. Uh, we got to be coming down to the end because I'm running out of space on this slide to put the, uh, the little slide from all the parables that, that, uh, that we've done. But we started out looking at the wise and the foolish builders, the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and weeds, the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, the workers in the vineyard, that's the 11th hour workers, remember? The parable of the two sons, and then we did the trilogy that we found in Matthew 25, the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the talents, and the parable of the sheep and goats. Then we did the great banquet where the three began to make excuses. We did the good Samaritan, and the last time that we were together on Sunday night, we did the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now tonight, I want to look at the two of the last three parables that we're going to talk about. Again, this is a trilogy of parables, go ahead, Johnny, that we find in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, Jesus tells three parables. He tells the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son, or what we traditionally call the parable of the prodigal son. Now we're going to look at the first two tonight and then a little later on we're going to uh, finish up our study of the parables with the parable of the prodigal son and we'll actually spend more than one week on the parable of the prodigal son. So in Luke chapter 15 beginning in verse 1 it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and go home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes on to tell the story of the prodigal son. Most of us know that story, and I'm going to reference it a little bit as it pertains to these other two, but we won't read it tonight. We'll save that for the next time we're together. A couple things to talk about real quickly before we kind of get into it. First of all, we need to, in the parable of the sheep, the lost sheep, we need to recognize that in this case, and I'd always kind of looked at it as the shepherd of the sheep, had brought them back and found that there were 99 and one was missing, he goes off. You reread it and that's really not what it says. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. 
So it's not really a shepherd in the sense of the hired shepherd who is supposed to be taking care of the sheep, but the actual owner of the sheep. Who is also the shepherd. You remember in John chapter 10. Jesus talked about the great shepherd. And he says you know I am the great shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And my sheep recognize my voice. And I will lay down my life for the sheep. The hired hand will scatter and run. When bad things happen. And so Jesus there makes a a distinction between. The shepherd who is actually the owner. And the hired shepherd. And so in this parable, we have, I think, Jesus talking about the shepherd who is the owner of the sheep, not just the hired hand. And then we got to go on and kind of discuss a little bit about the ten coins. Now, if we just read that, it may not mean as much to us. You know, she had ten coins and she lost one. But every biblical scholar and historian and and Jewish historian that I have read agrees that what Jesus is probably talking about here is that traditionally when a Jewish woman got married she was given 10 coins that were put into a headdress and that is what she wore it would be comparable to our wedding ring I didn't do wedding rings per se but You would wear that as a figure letting everybody know that you were married. And so that would have been very valuable to the woman. That would have been very sentimental to the woman. And so losing a coin out of that would have been pretty dissettling, unsettling for her. And so with those two kind of explanations in mind, real briefly this evening, I want to see what we can learn from these two stories. And the first thing we need to look at is what is the purpose of these parables? Why did Jesus tell the parable of the, of the, the sheep, the coin, and then eventually the prodigal son? Well, the situation gives us the context. Jesus didn't just out of the blue tell a really cool story about a prodigal son. He didn't just out of the blue tell a really cool story about 99 sheep and one. The stories were told because of the situation, because of the circumstance. Jesus was holding court. The people had come to, uh, to listen to him. The undesirables had come. And they were sitting at his feet and they were listening to him and kind of off to the side, at least this is the way I envision it in my mind, off to the side were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day. And they begin to scoff at Jesus. Oh, look at the kind of people he's hanging around. And notice that in your Bibles, where it says that uh, the people that were coming were the tax collectors and sinners... In my Bible, sinners is in quotes. Meaning that, you know, it wasn't necessarily that they were sinners and other people weren't, but that's the way they were perceived. That's the way they were looked at, especially by the religious leaders, the teachers of the laws, and the Pharisees. Now, this was not the first time that something like this happened. Over in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. 
Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who, who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And there it is again in quotes, sinners. And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then a story we've looked at before in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him at his feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him. I don't know why I'm thinking of Norman. But I don't know about you, those of you that were... I always remember Norman talking about this. And he would always say that Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the greater debt canceled. You are judged correctly, Jesus said. And so in both of these instances, the religious leaders were kind of, ah, what kind of people is he hanging around? But you remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she kind of had a very similar reaction. And it wasn't how necessarily other people viewed her, it was how she viewed herself. You remember that when Jesus asked her for a drink of water, she says, how can you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for something to drink? You see, she saw herself in a very inferior position and even questioned why Jesus would spend time with her. A little later on, we know this story. Jesus is again kind of holding court. And all the parents want to bring their children to Jesus. Oh, I just want want my children to see Jesus. I want Jesus to bless them. I want Jesus to touch them or whatever was going on. And so here were all these, these children, all these parents coming to Jesus. And the disciples were getting a little perturbed this time. It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It was his own disciples. They began to see that, wait a minute, you know, all these kids, man, who, we don't want all these kids around here. Let's see if we can maybe shoo them out of the way a little bit. And Jesus said, ah, you let the little children come to me. And he talked about how that the kingdom of God is made up of those who become like little children. And so it's not the first time and not going to be the last time that people question the kind of company that Jesus was keeping. Now, what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to be confused by Jesus' response 
in Luke chapter 5 where he said, it's not the well who need the doctor, it's the sick. And I didn't come to deal with the righteous. And then here in this parable or, or before this parable, you know, it says the, uh, after the parable of the, of, of the sheep, it said there'll be more rejoicing over the one who repents than the 90 and 9 who don't need to repent. We need to make sure that we're not reading too much into that. I think these are both situations where Jesus is almost, you know, patronizing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You see, they thought they were the righteous. They thought they were the ones who didn't need to repent. They thought they were the well who didn't need the doctor. And Jesus, for the moment, I think, because that wasn't his point at this particular point, didn't want to hassle with them, didn't want to argue with them. And so he let them think what they thought about themselves, that they were righteous, they were the well, they were the ones who didn't need to repent. But in case you're wondering, did Jesus ever kind of confront them about that? Read Matthew chapter 23. We're not going to do it. Tonight, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just read Matthew chapter 23, where he comes down on them and seven times he says, woe to you. And that's not a just woe, hold up. That's a woe, a cursing on you. You Pharisees and you teachers of the law. And he goes on and he tells them what their problems were and how that they were a brood of vipers and, you know, all the whitewashed tombs and all those things. That Jesus discusses there. So Jesus is not saying that, you know, well, the Pharisees are okay. They are the perfect ones. That's what they believe. So he went ahead and let them just deal with that for a while. The purpose of the parables is to show God's love and his mercy and his grace that is open to all who will receive it. It's not a coincidence, I don't think, that this happens on the heels of him telling the the parable of the great banquet. Remember that? Where the ones who'd been invited made excuses. And so so the the master said, go out into the highway and the byway and the alleys and all that. And you gather up whoever you can and have them come to me. And then the next thing we see at the beginning of chapter 15 is Jesus doing just that. Sitting with the sinners and the tax collectors. And those who thought they had been the invited ones are kind of upset about that. So that's really the purpose of the parables. Second point I want to make that we find from these two and the prodigal son is that lost is lost. Many have tried, and maybe I've done it on an occasion, to differentiate between the three ways that the three items... In these parables were lost. I remember hearing sermons on these three parables. And I remember the preachers talking about, well, the sheep was lost this way. The coin was lost this way. And the son was lost this way. And I think you could, you know, you can maybe make a point of that. That the sheep was probably lost because of his own carelessness. 
Not that he was wicked, not that he was evil. Sheep are just kind of like that, you know. They just kind of put their head down and they just kind of wander off and, and, and eat what's right in front of them without paying. Kind of like texting and driving. But anyway, uh, so the, you know, it's going along. And before you know it, the sheep looks up. Where are the other 99? He didn't intend to get away from the other 99. The shepherd was not necessarily derelict in his duty. You know, until he could actually get them all together, how are you going to count 99? Are you going to constantly be counting, making sure you got them all? So that's one way that some would say the sheep got lost. Some would say that the coin got lost, and I don't quite understand this, but the coin got lost by neglect of the woman. You know, she didn't, she didn't treat her property with respect. She didn't whatever, and so because of her neglect, she lost a coin. And I've heard... Preachers talk about how that, you know, that could represent us if if we neglect one another. If we don't do what we talked about this morning, if we don't encourage one another, if we don't do all these things and, and somebody is lost due to our negligence. Although, obviously, they would have their own responsibility as well. And then, of course, the prodigal son is the easiest one to figure out of all. He was lost simply because of his own rebellion. He rebelled against the father. But the point of these parables, you know, we can get into the parables. I'll be careful. We can get into the parables and we can nitpick them to death, can't we? And maybe you're thinking that's what you've done for the last however many weeks we've been doing this. Jesus' point is never about how these items were lost. Or he'd have told us. The point was they were lost. And lost is lost. It doesn't matter how they were lost. They were lost. And something we've talked about before that goes along with this. It doesn't matter to what extent they were lost. Lost is lost. You know, we've talked before about how that sometimes those of us who grew up in the church, grew up in a relationship with God, grew up doing, you know, we we might have the tendency to kind of feel like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Well, you know, I've never been as bad as that person. You know, I never did those things. I never, you know, you know, I've always been a good person. Well, you know what? You may have always been a good person. But at some point, you were lost. Because if you're not lost, you can't be found. If you're not lost, you can't be saved. And lost is lost. Jace reminded me just last week, I think we were talking about the illustration that I've used, you know, a bazillion times. But if the building's on fire and we both jump off and neither one of us makes it to the building on the other side, but you jump a little farther than I do, it seems a little ridiculous on the way down for you to, you know, thumb your nose at me and say, whoo, I jumped farther than you, splat. It doesn't matter if you jumped farther than me. You didn't make it. 
Neither did I. It doesn't matter how lost we thought we were. We were lost. All of us were dead in our sins and our transgressions. Objects of God's wrath. All of us. No matter how good we may have thought we were. Lost is lost. And then thirdly, I want to talk about the magic number. You know, some might question the extent to which the owner of the sheep went to find one sheep. Now, follow me on the math here. He had a hundred sheep. And he lost one. By my calculations, that means he had 99% of his sheep. Is that right? Is my math correct there? I don't know about you, but I've never taken a test in my life where I'd have been upset with a 99. You know what I mean? 99, I'll take it. Any day of the week. A batting average for a baseball player. 999, woo! They'd take that any day of the week. And so we might think, you know, 1%. That's not that big of a loss. You know, you talk to Walmart or or other retailers and you find out the percentage of items that they have stolen on an annual basis comes way more than 1%. Way more than 1%. So the shepherd has 99%. He's only missing 1%. And we might think to ourselves, boy, that was a lot of hassle. That was a lot of effort. That was a lot of work to go out and find that one sheep when he had 99% left it back. Let me ask you another question. You have to have an operation. And you ask your doctor who's a surgeon who's going to perform the operation. What is your mortality rate? He says, well... Out of every hundred surgeries I have, one person dies. Make a little difference? That makes a big difference to me. All of a sudden, one in a hundred don't sound so good. I want to know how many he's done lately, you know. If he's done 99 without a fatality, he ain't working on me. I tell you what, you call me after the next patient dies and then you can work on me. 99. And then we go to the coin. 10%. Uh Uh-oh. All of a sudden, 10%. 10 10%'s pretty big. You take a 10% pay cut, that's pretty big. It begins to make a difference. And then you get to the story of the prodigal son. 50% had two sons. One of them went off and went crazy. 50%. Ooh. Now that's, that's pretty serious. And if we look at the parable from that angle, we totally miss the point. Because the only number that matters The magic number in all three of these parables is one. 
One. One sheep, one coin, one son, one soul. And tonight I want you to think about the fact that that number one represents you. It represents you. We don't want to look at this story. I don't want us to look at any of the three of these and look at ourselves as the 90 and 9. We should not look at ourselves as the nine coins. And we should not look at ourselves as the elder son who stayed at home. We need to look at ourselves as the one that was lost. And Jesus gave his life for that one. We read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I am convinced that if everybody else in the world was perfect and had never sinned except me, Jesus would have still given his life. God would have still sent his son for me. That's how God considers us. God loved us enough to see Jesus. In closing, I want to read, and we're not going to sing it, but I want to read the words of a song that I fell in love with. I'd never heard this song before in my life. Moved here 30-something years ago. And on one of the Wednesday nights when we had singing, Norman Miller got up and led this song. Like I said, I had never heard it. And other than myself, I'm not sure I've ever heard it led here since then. I've given it an attempt once or twice. But I'm just going to read the words. There were 90 and 9 that safely lay in the shelter of the fold. But one was out on the hills far away, far off from the gates of gold. Away on the mountain, wild and bare, away from the tender shepherd's care. Away from the tender shepherd's care. Lord, thou hast here thy ninety and nine, are they not enough for thee? But the shepherd made answer, this of mine has wandered away from me. And and although the road be rough and steep, I go to the desert to find my sheep. I go to the desert to find my sheep. But none of the ransom ever knew. How deep the waters crossed. Nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere he found his sheep that was lost. For out in the desert he heard its cry. T'was sick and helpless and ready to die. T'was sick and helpless and ready to die. But all through the mountains thunder rived. And up from the rocky steep there arose a glad cry to the gates of heaven. Rejoice, I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice for the Lord brings back his own. Rejoice for the Lord brings back his own. Don't worry about the 99. Don't worry about the 9. Don't worry about the other son. Worry about and remember the one. And Jesus thought enough of us to come find us and save us. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. 
If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.